Hey everybody, this is Alex. Hey, it's Natasha. And we are here to talk just for a second about Extra Crunch TechCrunch's subscription product. Extra Crunch is where a lot of our best analysis and follow-up stories lives. We focus a lot on startups, building, and even poke fun here and there. It's true. I also write a daily column called The Exchange that's over on Extra Crunch. And the good news is, if you don't have EC access yet, we have a deal for you. Yes, you can use, I think, the best code there is. So don't tell anyone who doesn't listen to Equity because they're not invited. The code is equity, all caps, for 50% off your Extra Crunch subscription. So head over to techcrunch.com slash subscribe. Use that code. Make us look good internally. We say thanks across the internet. And now let's do a show. Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I'm joined today by Natasha Mascarenas, a former star volleyball player. Natasha, how are you? Yes, we don't talk about it enough, but I was indeed the second string JV volleyball player in my high school, which I shall not name for safety purposes. <laughs> well, and uh, if you're listening to the show and you're like, oh my Lord, what happened to equity? I don't like sports. Well, don't don't worry. We're not actually talking about sports per se. What we are talking about is a collection of startups, mostly on the early side, that have put together very interesting rounds that have a sports theme, but we're gonna be digging into in-game currency, media, community, and mobile games. We're gonna tie all those themes together under a sports umbrella. Also going to talk a little bit about women-led sports, a little bit about indie gaming. We're going to talk about fantasy cricket, and we're going, to, we're going to nerd out a lot on cricket, so get ready for that. But this is going to be an absolutely fun show, Natasha, and we're going to start off with a company that we're both very excited about called The Gist. The Gist is a new sports media startup that is trying to make sports content more accessible, inclusive, approachable, and fun for what it describes as a casual fan or a female fan. The company is led by women, but it is trying to serve an audience that has not really resonated with traditional sports media, which is dominated by men, both when it comes to the people that are covered and the people who are doing the coverage themselves. So the gist is a company led by women that is trying to kind of disrupt that traditional stereotypical sports audience in its coverage. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a really good point and it's a growth market. So if you were paying attention to the overall world of sports media last year, what you saw was an enormous increase in women's sports. Viewership numbers here from the United States, but for women's sports kind of broadly last year, viewership spiked by nearly 500%. And so what the gist is doing is it's chasing not just an underserved market historically, but also one that's put up a lot of very impressive growth numbers lately, which helps explain a little bit why it's raised capital right now. I will say sometimes when you see something that is women led, people have the tendency to think that it's just about women. And I think with the gist, a really key distinction is it's not just trying to cover women sports instead of trying to cover all sports. And the founders just happen to be women. But I think the gist is, is killing it. And I think there's 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 recent models of media companies with focuses, building large audiences and having attractive exits. So from a startup money perspective, Natasha, this seems like a, a pretty good bet. Media M&A has been all over equity recently. And so I kind of have been joking that like it doesn't take much, you know, have to explain the point of these companies anymore, which is great. It's actually progress. And I don't think a year ago it was as simple as pointing to all the examples. In the story we have on TC by Daryl about the gist, the founder cited other media companies such as The Skim, Morning Brew and The Hustle as examples of what worked well in media. We obviously saw Morning Brew having a great exit. The Skim is being rumored 
hustle as well and the athletic i'll believe okay look the, the athletic gets sold almost all the time <laughs> okay yeah, yeah let's, like, I, let's I, talk I, about it <laughs> i'll believe that when i see it like that that's a deal that like okay cool but like you know there's someone inside the athletic who just loves to leak and so whenever they talk to whenever they have lunch with someone they're like did you know we were talking to cnn so like I, I, <laughs> the whole news cycle <laughs> begins all over again you're just like we know yeah. but i want to talk about something else though because Look, I work in media. This is, you know, the day job. So I pay more attention to it than I think a lot of folks do. And one thing that I tracked with a lot of interest was the, the dead spin saga and how, yeah. you know, GMG got bought. And there was a lot of discussion about sticking to sports and kind of what makes certain media publications special and, and you know, how to recreate the magic. And, you know, I think what we've seen is inside the sports world, there is a demand for coverage that isn't just sports center. There is a demand for coverage from from fans of sporting that really goes beyond the traditional, you know, baseball rundown, if you will. And so I think what the gist is possibly going to be able to tap into is not simply an expansion of treating women's sports like they deserve, which is seriously. But also, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who probably don't fit into the kind of core ESPN demo totally. who are interested in, in sporting activities. And so to me, it, it's a cool company at a good spot. I was most excited about this company out of all the companies because this is a critique the skim got early on, which was they feminized news items by dumbing them down. And I hated that critique for many reasons. And I think you see the same one emerging for any kind of media operation that's led by women. For example, the gist got this unfair response of being sports with training wheels, understanding sports with training wheels. And I think like the opportunity for the gist, Alex, as you mentioned, is not that it's just going to make it easier to understand but it's going to give treat women's sports professionally and in a complicated, in a complex and nuanced way. And I just think that that's like the huge opportunity I see for the gist and really hope that we're getting towards that world sooner than later. On that point, look, I'm just going to build on that. I'm not going to let it drop because one thing that I have discovered is training wheels or on ramps for sports are huge. And the best example of this, I think, in the North American market has been the Netflix series Drive to Survive which turns F1 racing into kind of personality-driven narratives totally. and has essentially, I, I don't know, doubled to triple probably the, the U.S. viewership market for Formula One. I mean, every single person that I talk to in America who is not an old-school Formula One fan discovered the sport because Netflix built F1 with training wheels, F1 on ramps, essentially a way to get into it and learn the mechanics of it in a very easy fashion. And I joked earlier that I didn't really know what offsides meant. That's because I think a lot of sports media just presumes you grew up watching this with your dad since you were like one years old, you know, and you know everything. Well, what if you don't? Right. It's like inherently misogynistic, a lot of the coverage right now because of the assumptions it's built on. And so, it, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it doesn't have to be over gendered or feminized or anything. It just needs to be done differently. And I, I think that's yeah. the gist of the gist, hopefully. Ayo, <laughs> Natasha with the jokes. We're missing Danny. <laughs> the problem without having Danny is we have to come up with our own transitions. And, and just in case you didn't know how equity works before the show, we go through and we assign them. We go like, oh, and then, you know, Danny will hand off to Natasha here because it kind of helps the flow of the conversation. And we want to make sure everyone has a shot to talk. And then uh, we do all that work. And then Danny ignores all of them and just does Completely them all. Like, every, we stopped doing it because he's just he's incorrigible it was you know? an elephant like, in the room for approximately like six months and then recently we were like why are we even pretending like this needs to be a pre-show ritual let's just start 
I, I think Danny effectively doesn't talk during the episode just to save up his jokes for the transitions. <laughs> We're going to move on to, look, one of the coolest stories I've read, yes. frankly, in weeks. So here's the headline. Fantasy, fantasy sport, Blaseball, developers score $3 million seed funding to go mobile. And what, what Blaseball is, it's, it's fantasy sports, but with fantasy baseball teams. And so there's elements of like RPGs in there. There's hilarious teen names like um, the Moist Talkers and the Worms. There's player names like Chorby Soul, Peanutile Duffy. I mean, it, it's hilarious to me. And I, I love that this text-based fantasy fantasy sports game has reached enough you know, interest and demand to, to actually raise money. I mean, it, it's indie sports meets, meets fantasy meets D&D. Natasha, and I'm I'm kind of entranced by it because regular baseball, not my favorite, but this, this I would probably play. Oh my God, totally. Kind of speaking about on-rams, I'm like, this is a way to get me interested in sports. Something that came up during the story that I think Devin wrote was how people who joined, I mean, a, a percent of the people that joined kind of came in expecting the traditional rules of baseball, but then were surprised when their player got kicked out of a game because of their peanut allergy. And it's like this really fictional, creative way to, I think at its core, like way to address competition and team camaraderie and rewarding those things within a mobile gaming experience under the guise of fantasy sports. I thought it was really fun. I think they, so they raised 3 million about two weeks ago. That money is basically going to be used to one kind of button up a little bit, not have their writers also be their developers and keeping all the lights on at the same time, but also to create a mobile native app. So it's not even mobile yet. And I think that is, it could be another huge opportunity for growth for them. And just because I love whimsy, this one really, really spoke to me. But uh, just to give people a little bit of information about like fantasy sports in general and to be like, how big is this market really? Well, the niche that baseball, which is actually how it's spelled. It's not, I'm not mispronouncing baseball. <laughs> I'm not dumb. I can read. It's baseball. That's which whimsical again. I love it. According to the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, which by the way, TIL, that exists. Over 59 million people in the US and Canada alone are engaged in fantasy sports. So like that is an enormous number. And to me, Natasha, this intersects with rising legalization of sports betting kind of in the U.S. And I would say an overall focus in participatory sports versus just watching. People now want to play, build teams, compete with their friends. I mean, my my family's had an off and on March Madness Fantasy League forever. My brother tends to win because he's the only person who knows anything. But <laughs> people love to, to take part. And so to me, this is a natural expansion of that and one that I kind of want to try, which is my standard rule for this sort of consumer activity. Actually, same. It was, I think, quite literally a pandemic experiment. It had very low hopes going in. Like even the developers, they were kind of like, we just wanted to do it. And the fact that it's grown so immensely that it can even raise venture capital money is like, again, a huge stamp of approval. The last bit I'll add, because this came up too, is I learned during my Duolingo piece that amount of money that goes towards in-app purchases for games is massive. I had no idea that people would actually just like spend money to progress in a game faster or get another life, so to speak. And so one thing that Blaseball, Blaseball? I'm like blase ball is what I feel naturally. Oh my gosh, that's way better. I know. I'm. I, <laughs> this, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> they they were saying that they're trying to figure out ways to like match the whimsy of the app experience right now with the way they monetize. So they're trying to reinvent how free games monetize, and they can't. They're they're basically committing to not copying 
monetization from another game because it would ruin the serendipity and kind of like the scrappiness of the current feel. So that's another bit to pay attention to. Uh, what was that company I just wrote about? The one that's going public via SPAC. It's kind of like Zynga, but not. Um, uh, oh, Jam City. So Jam City is like Zynga, but different, right? It's got a number of like mobile game franchises. They monetize the way you'd expect. And you can really run that model pretty far because it turns out people love hyper-casual mobile social games. I mean, that that is a thing that humans love. We love to play games on our phones. Some percentage are willing to pay for the things you mentioned. Huzzah. Blase ball or blaze ball by taking a different angle could shake things up a little bit. It would be nice to see less cookie cutter mobile game franchises come up and, and build long-term value. And if you are a baseball fan, Maybe this is for you. If you do play it, please let us know. EquityPod at TechCrunch.com. We'd love to hear your notes about it. Because baseball is the sport that I was the worst at growing up. And it's the one that I have the least current care for. But I will say, <laughs> baseball fans, I respect you because you're willing to watch four-hour games. So points. I was like, your DMs are getting ruined as you speak. But you just saved them with that last line. No, to each their own. Like, I mean, we're going to talk about cricket now. And if we're going to talk about long sporting events that I don't fully understand, if I understand correctly, there are, there are tries. There are ashes, there are wickets, there's bowling, there's weird knee pads, and there are games that go on, Natasha, for days, for, for weeks. days or weeks. It's insane. I mean, my relationship with cricket, because my family's from India, was when I was growing up, I mean, literally invited to houses at 1 a.m. to 7 a.m., normal, like watching the tournaments. Everyone would be super awake and alert and just like acting like it was like a 5 p.m. football game. Everything in India is like on an extreme level. The way we Bollywood is extreme. Cricket is very extreme. People are absurd. And this next company that we're going to talk about raised earlier this year, 225 million at an over 2.5 billion valuation to bring fantasy sports into it. So Alex, walk us through Dream 11. Okay, so Dream 11. Well, actually, it's kind of their parent company that raised the money, but whatever. We'll talk about the app itself. Put together a $225 million round. Tiger Global was unsurprisingly in this, along with TPG Tech Adjacencies, which has also been known as TTAD. I learned that today. Chris Capital of Footpath Ventures, valued at $2.5 billion, has now raised a total of $325 million. And what they're trying to do is allow people to kind of pick the best players for an upcoming match and then win cash prizes. Now, this should sound relatively familiar to everyone who's played fantasy sports in the States, but when you apply something that works to an enormous market, you can often get outsized returns. And as Natasha pointed out, cricket is huge, and not just in India. I mean, really, I, I don't know if this is politically correct, but in the former places that England used to own... No, I mean, that's accurate. <laughs> uh, cricket... I'm not endorsing empire here. I'm talking about the past. So this, this model uh, and focus on the Indian market it makes a lot of sense to me because it's, it's a global sport but one that has a lot of national pride. and the, One of the most popular sporting events in the world is the Indian Premier League Cricket Tournament. And Dream 11 is the title sponsor, yes. or was, for the 2020 season. In the story, it came out that the startup had won the rights over a Chinese smartphone vendor, Vivo, by bidding $30 million in order to get that spot, which I was like, love the hustle. Um, and, and definitely, you know, a minute, it, it means something when a venture-backed company is the title sponsor of the biggest sporting event. Yeah, because that's, that's a big... That's a big check. Because think about how much equity that represents. They sold like 2% of their company to become the title sponsor. You're not even doing it right if you don't sell 2% of your company. It, right? Sponsor. I mean, because you just do the math. Yes. To, to be clear, that number is not fact-checked by the equity staff uh, and the data analytics team we keep in the back. Uh, that's a number I just made up. Uh, by the way, the equity data analysis team is just us before the show. But here's the, there's a geopolitical tie-in here to this, this particular bit of news, which has really caught my eye when I was prepping for the show today and going back over all these stories. Vivo kind of backed out 
of that sponsorship deal because of rising geopolitical tensions between India and China. And so, you know, a story that we've been covering on the show, you know, especially on the Monday shows, the discussion of not just changing regulation inside of China and India about tech itself, but also the rising competition between the two nations. Here's an example of how that actually trickled down directly into the startup world that we cover. I mean, people say, you know, don't talk about politics. And I'm modestly sympathetic to that on a mostly money show. But it's impossible to avoid politics all the time because they do show up in places like this. I mean, this is a big deal. This is an enormous tournament. And, you know, this check was possible because Modi and Z, uh, it turns out, don't get along. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's always a tech angle. But I think this honestly would not be surprised if this ends up being a huge, huge growth lever for the company that helps it become eventually successful. So 100% fair to give it that weight. And oh, for sure. I mean, speaking of just regulation in general, the last bit I will add on Dream 11 is that within India, there is regulatory hurdles against sports betting and fantasy sports in general. And so that is something that could be something that they come up against. It's not new for any company in the fantasy sports world. So I'm not surprised that they were able to get this valuation regardless. It is something that really could be part of their story coming up. It's, it's interesting to watch how certain things like cannabis legalization here in America and kind of sports betting, maybe even more globally, some things that were verboten for so long for reasons mm-hmm. that never made sense to me seem to be crumbling a little bit and we're seeing startups pop up in the cracks, you know, and that which makes perfectly perfect sense to me. Uh, Natasha, we are going to bounce like a ball in a sports game, but we are back on Friday with our news roundup. And given how this week is kicked off, it's going to be a packed, packed show.